Before we get started with this unique episode, I want to give you two very special opportunities. The first is to sign up for Types and Symbols' new set of books, coming to a Kickstarter near you. They're the ones that created and designed The Conflict Beautiful, the set of books we've been parading on our episodes throughout this season. They have a brand new collection launching on the crowdsourcing site Kickstarter in just a couple of weeks. Now we're partnering with them on this episode, and so we're able to let you in on a little secret. If you visit lifeandlightcollection.com, you can sign up now to get exclusive updates on when the books will be available. Now please don't miss this opportunity. The books Steps to Christ, Christ's Object Lessons and Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings will be such a blessing to you, just as they have been to millions of others. So visit lightandlightcollection.com now. Secondly, and this is especially to the young people out there that are finishing high school and aren't really sure what to do next, we'd love to invite you to consider attending CORE. CORE is a discipleship and evangelism program located in Pennsylvania that runs for nine months. And in that short space of time, you'll learn everything you need to know to become an effective soul winner, as well as having the tools to ensure that your walk with God remains grounded and rooted in Christ. They'll teach you how to do and give Bible studies, all about literature evangelism, mental health, and health evangelism, how to use digital media to further God's work, and even take you on an overseas mission program to help you practice what you preach. For more information, visit paconference.org forward slash core. Now, here comes the show. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That, a show that explores the motivations of biblical characters and how their choices can guide yours. Every good ministry has a mission. Ours here at Why They Did That, as we've told you before, is to help, encourage, and assist our listeners in reading and understanding the Bible. We believe that this book has power, that it is the completely inspired Word of God, and that the stories and characters within are true to life, that their motivations, their whys, can influence ours for the better. And every now and then, we like to switch it up a bit, change gears, keep you guys on your toes so you never know what we're going to do next. So in this episode, my guest is you. And so as a host, here's my first question to you. How many of you here listening to this episode struggle to read the Bible? Not that you don't believe it, or that sermons that are birthed from the Word don't stir your soul. But you struggle when it comes to your own time with God and getting something meaningful and worthwhile from the Bible. Now, what if I told you that by the end of this very episode, that would no longer be the case? 
I know that the beauty of podcasts are that you can listen to them while you're on the way to work, doing chores at home or on a run or maybe even heading to a church service. But on the off chance that you have a Bible handy, I want you to open it to 1 Samuel chapter 28. I'm going to read it to you the way anyone would read the Bible. And I'm going to start in verse 5. 1 Samuel chapter 28 verse 5. I'm just going to read. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, Please conduct a seance for me, and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life, to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this. And the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me any more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. I'm wondering how many times you checked out whilst I read that. How many times you stopped listening during that commute or doing the dishes or how many things distracted you during your daily jog? I'm pretty sure it was probably at least two or three. And this is not a rebuke. I would have checked out too if I were you. And let me tell you why. Because what I just did was boring. Let's set this book to the side for a second. Outside of the scriptures, what's your favorite book? I take a guess that it's one of those books that has this mind-altering ability to transport you from wherever it is you're reading and take you straight into the story so that you're no longer focused on the words on the page, but rather as you subconsciously read, you're watching it play out in your mind. Those are the books that I loved as a child, the ones that caused me to imagine, the ones that never let go of my attention. Coincidentally, this is why people would much rather buy novels than books about theology or science. Because they take you somewhere else. You can escape into another world and visualize the impossible. 
And I believe this is the very reason why God gave us the Bible. The Bible was never meant to be a boring book. Far from it. Most of your favorite movies are just rip-offs of the scriptures anyways. The issue is not that the Bible is boring or archaic or that movies are too exciting and TV shows are too addictive. The issue is us. The issue is that we come to the Bible with presuppositions that have been ingrained into our minds in the years that we have grown up hearing the word of God being spoken. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time, for those of you that attend church, that at the end of the service, you've leaned over and said to a friend, wow, the scripture reading today was powerful. We talk about the sermon, maybe, the music, if it was any good, and maybe even the children's story. But what about when someone stands up to read the word of God? That's when we check out, when, when the phones come out, or when we head to the restroom because we know our pastor is probably going to go on for a while and we need a little moment to escape. Why is that? The answer is the same. Because we come to the Bible with lenses of boredom. An old man is coming up and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. That's boring to everyone, and it's a disservice to God and his holy word. Some of us would read the words of the dying Christ on the cross, Eli, Eli, lamai sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do you think that's how he said it? Of course not. So then why do you read it like that? Probably because you've been taught that the purpose of reading the Bible is to know what happened in those days, and hey, maybe you'll even be converted along the way. I would argue that the purpose of reading is not to know, it's to feel. Like any good book, the Bible wants to pluck you up and put your mind's eye at the foot of the cross. It wants you to look up at your Savior, hanging from a tree. It wants you to hear his panted breath, to see the tears rolling down his eyes as his heart breaks with the sins of the world. And then it wants you to listen, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Take the book of Job, for example. The opening chapter is all about this great controversy that is taking place on earth, God and Satan battling for a precious soul. Job, the wealthiest man in the East, loses everything. All his livestock, in fact his entire livelihood, gone. And then all ten of his children too, dead. The question in the reader's mind is, how will Job respond? Will he remain faithful as God claimed, or will he curse God and die? The culmination of this opening chapter is found in verses 20 to 22. And so we read. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked I came out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Give me a break. That didn't take me anywhere. I felt nothing of his sorrow, nothing of his anguish, nothing of his pain. Now we'll come back to this in just a moment. First, I need to show you a verse that changed everything for me. It's in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, and it's the 8th verse. And it says, 
So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Three things happen here in this verse. One, they read distinctly. Two, they gave the sense. And three, they caused them to understand the reading. So when I read Job properly, it sounds a little more like this. Then Job arose and rent his mantle, shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. What made the difference in those two readings? It's simple. I just applied Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. First of all, they read the words distinctly. Each word was given the respect it was due. They did not race by. They did not try and skip to the end so they could say they spent time with God this morning. Every word carried weight. And so they read, and they read slowly. The problem with scripture readings, and even to an extent our own prayers, whether they be private or corporate, is that we rush. We're in such a rush. Where are we going? Who's dying? Slow down. Take your time. Take the Lord's Prayer, for example. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That's certainly not what Jesus taught his disciples. Slow it down. Read distinctly. It changes everything. Watch. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses, even as we forgive those who trespassed against us. I'm not slowing down merely for effect. When you slow down your reading, you allow your brain and everyone else that might be listening to catch up. And more importantly, you give them time to think about the words as they're hearing them. And that's the key. You need time to think. Secondly, Nehemiah 8.8 says that they gave the sense. And what on earth does that mean? Well, look at what happens because of it. It caused them to understand. In other words, the giving of the sense of the reading helped them to grasp the meaning. And you cannot just read the scripture through and expect to understand, to grasp the meanings that are far below the surface. You have to ask yourself certain questions in order to give or even get the sense of the reading. So let's go back to 1 Samuel 28. Now, here are the questions I have to ask myself. One, who are the characters in this story? Well, we have Saul, we have his servants, we have the witch, and we have the ghost of Samuel. Next, I must ask myself, what do I know about each of them? Well, 
Saul, at this point in the story, is a broken, desperate man. He's quickly losing the kingdom God gave him, and he has grieved God's very spirit. His servants, well, we don't know much, but since they serve Saul, we can only assume they are of a similar character to their master. The witch, from the chapter alone, we know that she's fearful of losing her life because of Saul's prior decree to ban the dark arts and spiritualism. And then we've got the ghost of Samuel. Except, if you're a student of the Bible, you'll know that it cannot be Samuel, can it? Why? Well, a few things have point this out. One, Saul has cut himself off from God. It says so in this chapter. So why then would God answer him with Samuel's aid when he chooses to go through a witch? Is God endorsing witchcraft and necromancy? Of course not. There's a few other things. One, Samuel, when summoned, comes up from the ground. If he were dead and apparently went to heaven, why does he come up from the ground? That doesn't make much sense. Then there's the fact that the message that Samuel apparently gives is a message of doom, not of hope. It's a message that leads Saul to consider himself completely helpless and in a twisted kind of way causes a self-fulfilling prophecy with Saul going on to take his own life. And then, of course, you've got the testimony of the entire Bible, which must be looked at as one. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 9.5 that the dead know nothing. So how does dead Samuel apparently know how to predict Saul's fate, or even to speak for that matter? David said that the dead remember nothing. So how does dead Samuel remember what happened regarding Saul's relationship with David? Job testifies that the dead remain in their graves. See chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, chapter 21, verse 32. Even Jesus didn't go to heaven immediately after he died. So I think we can be clear that it's not Samuel. And therefore, it is an evil angel impersonating the dead prophet. After all, Paul told the people in Corinth that even Satan himself can appear as an angel of light. No wonder the message the ghost delivers him is one of impending ruin. Because Satan rejoices over nothing more than when a soul surrenders himself to his helpless, lost state. Now, with these questions, simply who are the characters, and what do we know about them, I can give context and thereby give life to the reading. And so instead of reading it as though I'm devoid of all emotion, I can be true to the text, true to the characters, and true to the feelings of the passage. Then I just need to remember to read distinctly and slowly in order to let the mind think about the words. Now, trust me when I tell you, If you apply these principles every time you open the Bible, whether it be in your personal chambers or at the pulpit, you will have a transformational experience. In fact, let's try it. I'm going to reread the passage, 1 Samuel 28, verse 5 to 19, and I'll read it slowly, pausing for emphasis rather than raising my voice. I'll try to read it distinctly, And I'll try to give a voice to each character that I believe is true to the context of the story. Basically, I'll take into account what I know already. That Saul is desperate. That the witch is fearful. That Samuel isn't Samuel at all. And I'll try to give those things a place 
with my voice, hopefully it will all come together. Let's give it a shot. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, Please, conduct a seance for me, and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. And the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life, to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. And the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me any more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. 
the Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Could you see it? Did you feel that a little more? That's not because I have a good voice or because I've got a podcast. The reason that reading was different to the first one was because it was read with meaning, with purpose, distinctly, and it gave a sense. And when those things come together, they cause the listeners to understand. In other words, it was read the way the Bible should be read. Now, granted, I've practiced reading it like that a number of times, but you can do that too. It's not fake. It's actually the epitome of real because it's genuinely true to the passage. In fact, once you're done listening to this episode, why not take a passage and practice reading it through yourselves, giving it the sense? Too often we're content with just letting the dead speak. And by that, I mean ourselves, not Samuel. We come to the scriptures dead, and we read it as though we too were all but ready to fall into the grave. We don't believe the dead can speak. So don't prove us wrong when you read the word yourself. Immerse yourself in the scriptures. Let it take you back thousands of years to times when humbled shepherds parted seas, when kings glorified God on the battlefield and then tarnished his name on rooftops, to a time when a lowly carpenter would just read the word in the synagogue and the people would want to kill him, to a time when aged exiles were given glorious gleams into God's plans for the end. Friends, we cannot rely on preachers, on pastors, or even on podcasts. So dust off your Bibles, take out your pen and paper, and clear your throat. Because your experience with the Scriptures, and thereby your relationship with God, will never be the same. He that hath an ear, let him hear. And you just heard our latest show. If you'd like to hear more or hearken back to a previous episode, you can find us at whythedidthat.org. Please also subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on your favorite social media platforms, such as Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Why They Did That. And we're on YouTube now as well, where you can actually watch this episode as well as listen to it. So make sure to check that out. This show was produced by the supremely talented Paul Keefe and the video editing by Jonathan J.J. Jensen. Once again, I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That. <laughs>